Game week one is in the books and we are here for your first La Pausa pod of the 2023-24 season. We're very pleased to have the analyst's very own Ryan Benson joining us today to talk Sevilla, Mendili ball and that pretty meagre offering against Valencia on Friday night. And of course, what we can expect from them against Manchester City in the European Super Cup on Wednesday night. So Ryan, how are you and how have you enjoyed football being back in our lives? Well, yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. Um, in terms of football, generally speaking, enjoyed it. Although I can't say particularly enjoyed that severe game, severe Valencia game uh, on Friday. It was a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a grim, a grim return, I think. But um, but yeah, uh, generally speaking, it's uh, yeah, it's it's good to have it back. Nice one. And Jamie is with us, of course. And for him, football never really went away because he has been watching pre-season like it was an Olympic sport recently. But now he finally has some competitive action to analyse. Jamie, are you happy to have Spanish football and Leeds United back in your life? (laughs) Uh, Firstly, yes. Uh, Second, no. Um, But yeah, thankfully, we've got Ryan on to to cover the the severe part so I can take a back seat for a little bit here. Nice one. Yeah, so let's dive straight in. We all know Sevilla's story. They got themselves caught up in a relegation fight last season before Jose Luis Mendilibar came in and guided them to Europa League glory and a respectable 12th place finish relative to where they were when he took over. They played Valencia in match day one and lost 2-1 thanks to a late Javi Guerra goal. Overall, as Ryan said, pretty grim. Ryan tweeted at the end of the game at Ryan Ryan Benson, if you want to follow him there, saying it was going to be a long season, if that's what we can expect. What were your thoughts as you watched the game, Ryan? I mean, yeah, there certainly weren't many positive thoughts about it. It was quite, yeah, it was quite strange. It was like being a little, taking a little bit back to... Well, like the kind of the last few weeks before Mendilibar took over, to be honest, like there, there what didn't really seem to be much cohesion in the team. Like there seemed to be no plan B, mm. um, and yeah, there the, the, just wasn't a huge amount to be particularly optimistic. But it was again that it was another reminder of how sort of how much deadwood they've still got in the squad. And sort of, and how they've they've still not really been able to kind of refresh the team much. So it's still very much this, yeah. Essentially, it's the same squad as last season. And I think we can all appreciate that Mendilibar did a great job in those kind of last couple last couple of months of the season. But you know, it's a it's a it's a flawed squad. And I think there's only so there's only so much so much time he's going to be able to work miracles with that. And yeah, I think the Valencia game on Friday sort of showed the limitations already. Yeah, we, we've spoken about that myself and Jamie in previous pods about how the Mendilibar appointment full-time was the right decision emotionally, but we did have concerns concerns as to the the what the ceiling was for this team. As you said, there was no plan B, so the one-dimensional approach just relying on reliant on generating crosses uh, they had 26 from open play which was a team high on match day one they it was the oldest 11 to take to the field a starting 11 to take to the field on match day one 
31 years and 127 days on average. I, and it was actually against the youngest. I've heard him being referred to as baby Valencia. 24 years and 259 days was the average age of that Valencia team. So really stark difference there in terms of kind of energy levels and stuff. And as you said, Ryan, there, there was there, there is a lot of deadwood there. And you're wondering what what the plan, what, what plan B, what might be. And there was no new Sevilla players in that in that starting eleven from the news from this summer, the and then one thing we were kind of concerned about is the players and the coaches seemingly not on the same page in terms of approach. So Mendilibar wanted them to be even more direct, claiming uh, players wanted to play to the feet too often, which is something that most coaches want. Mendilibar wants the exact opposite. The players, whenever there was a bit of room to move into, Mandilibar was telling them to just launch, get it out wide and launch. And he was he was doubling down on that then at the end of the game. And one quote we have here from him after that game was, we didn't look to play beyond the opposition defence. We only wanted to receive passes to feet. We're not like that as a team. If we want to win, we have to put more balls in the box. If we want to combine from the back, we're going to be a very ordinary team. So do you find Mendilibar's messaging after a performance like that a bit concerning? Uh, the answer to Mendilibar's answer to being direct without success seems to be be even more direct. Yeah, I, I think that the concerning element, I think for me there is how he's saying that after like the first game of the season when, you know, you would have thought it's, it, these are the sort of conversations that they should have been having you know, for the past several weeks in preseason, in in a way, I sort of, I understand where he's coming from because kind of the, the whole kind of playing into feet and sort of yeah playing out from the back that was obviously how how the team was trying to play under San Paoli and that just it just didn't work. They they weren't good enough to do that. So and then also like last season, their improvement under Mendilibar. Obviously, a lot of it came down to them going back to basics. Like they, they were, they would. I think, I think there were only like three teams that played more open play crosses than them. Sort of after he took over, um, and again, I, I think it was four or five. Only four or five teams scored more goals in the penalty area than them over that same period. So, I, I understand kind of his urgency and his sort of demand to get the ball into the into the box as quickly as possible. But it's yeah, I think I think when you're talking about things being concerning, there there's clearly kind of a bit of a yeah, there's clearly a lack of I hate the word synergy maybe between mm. like the coach and the players. If they're not if they're not already on the same wavelength now, then that's yeah, that that's a little bit worrying. Mm. And Jamie, you were saying while we were watching the game. There was times in Bade in particular was was trying to move the ball forward because Valencia were sitting off them and Mendelibar was telling them get it launched, but f from watching it, the midfield area on a Mendelibar team doesn't really exist. So in in one way, Mendelibar does actually have a point there. Did did you see times when it was the right option to go through the middle and they just did and and, and they didn't do it, or could they have had success in this game? Yeah, I think even with Mendilibar's philosophy, which hasn't changed for, for, what, 30 years, there's still got to be a kind of base level of circulation of the ball from the back. You don't have to turn into Guardiola's Barcelona all of a sudden. But, yeah, they just didn't... They weren't able to work position from deep. So, 
And Mendilibas broke after saying, that's not who we are. It's where a team who gets the ball wide and puts crosses in. But then you look in the team and you've got Suso playing as a number 10. I mean, I'm sure he doesn't speak for Suso when he, when he talks like that. So, yeah, it, it just felt like a, a general disconnect be- between the team who probably from the back especially we're looking up and seeing there's no actual space to play into behind Valencia from here so we're gonna have to play shot a little bit to try and open up some space but Mendelibar was just uh yeah demanding the ball went forward quickly and the centre-backs especially weren't weren't overly recipient to that and uh obviously it's been a pretty tumultuous summer at Sevilla maybe not tumultuous but Manchi leaving for Aston Villa seemingly feeling like it was the end of a cycle and his being replaced by Victor Orta they haven't really done a whole lot of business I mean Gabriel Sau was the only player of note to come in and he didn't start on Friday night is there any area in the transfer market that you think they need to target or or anywhere they need to strengthen obviously you just said that they've got a lot of dead ones so obviously the answer is yes but where do you think they need to strengthen yeah, I mean, in terms yeah, in terms of strengthening, I think it'd be good to see a kind of a, a proper left-footed left winger come in. Obviously, they had Brian Hill uh, for yeah last season, and yeah, and he was he worked pretty well. That that was a pretty good signing. Um, obviously, he's gone back to Spurs now, so I think a, a winger of sort of that kind of ilk would be good. Um, again, that like, we're talking about. Mendilibar wanting wanting lots of crosses being put in, like Ocampos isn't that left no. winger. They they don't again. If we play Papio Gomez out out there again, he's not really that set, that left that kind of left winger either. Um, so like you're kind of your own only your only weapon on the left in that respect is Acuna, and well, he's also now being pretty heavily linked with Aston Villa, and he isn't a particularly reliable player in terms of his fitness anyway. Um, so yeah, so a left winger would be good, and then I would think. I mean, per- personally, I think it would be nice to see get a, them bring in a yeah, kind of a creative attacking central central midfielder, because again, it's not really it's not really the sort of player they have. Now, obviously, there's will, will they bother signing a player like that? Given how Mendilibar wants the team to play, I I don't know. I'm skeptical. Um, but that's that's the sort of profile that they are missing in in the middle. We can't, you can't really expect, you know, the 35, 36 year old, however old he is now, Rakitic to be sort of providing that kind of creativity. And obviously, Gibril So is going to be he's a fairly similar player to Juan Jordan anyway. So that's going to be he's you know, going to be playing operating slightly deeper than that sort of a player anyway. And again, Oliver Torres. Oliver Torres works hard and, you know, he's a decent technical player, but he's never been someone who's going to be creating like lots of, you know, lots of chances every season. So, yeah, unless Suso, as he did a little bit towards the end of last season, was quite effective. So unless Suso starts playing more centrally or Manu Bueno potentially getting sort of even more minutes, um, yeah, I would think an attacking midfielder as well would be be a, a 
a good a good choice for me anyway. Yeah, you you've named a load of players there who could potentially play it, but none of them are really convincing. You said you you said decent there. There, there there's a lot of decent number tens, but not the kind of guy who you can actually build an attack around although Mandilibar doesn't seem to want to do that so but they play Man City obviously in the European Super Cup now in the middle of the week and just wondering do you think that this game actually suits them better so Man City have obviously played against Arsenal in the in the charity shield the community shield and then Burnley in the in the Premier League match day one so two fairly idealist coaches and he's coming up now against the an- an- anachronism that is Jose Luis Mendilibar. Does this kind of suit Mendilibar a little bit better in that Man City are going to want the ball, so he can cause a little bit of chaos and cause problems? Yeah, I mean, pot- yeah, potentially. Um, I suppose it depends how how effective Sevilla are, are on on the counter. To be honest, as you say, they're not going to see much of the ball, and I mean, players. I obviously, Enzeri is sort of more renowned for being, you know, a really good sort of effective penalty, physical penalty box striker. But he's also deceptively quick. Um, I don't think he gets enough credit for that side of his game. So you know, if there's if they can find if they can find opportunities like that to counter and sort of transition quickly, then they 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 could do a bit of damage, but. Yeah, I mean, Manchester City are so good in more or less everything, and this severe team is, yeah, it, it, it isn't great in a lot of ways. I think it's, I'd be very, very surprised if this ends up being anything other than a comfortable win for City. I mean, they played each other twice last season, and yeah, you could argue even then that Sevilla's team and Sevilla's team then was better. And they were comfortably swept aside in both games. Um, so yeah, I, I'm. I don't think that there are many severe fans who are going to be expecting a huge amount from this. To be honest, and but the only thing it does do is give Mendilibar a chance to try some of the other the younger guys in the squad. And you had a tweet recently talking about some of the young players that were leaving Sevilla and not re- really being given a chance to, to to break through in the first team. They brought on Juan Luis Sanchez, who Sevilla fans and Spanish football fans are, are, are pretty high on, Federico Gattone and Gibriel Sao against Valencia. Are there, any young, are there any other youngsters you feel should be used in this game or need to be used by, by Mendilibar in the coming weeks to, to freshen up this side? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you mentioned Juan Luis, and I think he's the... He's he's the main he's the main one. Um, see, so yeah, he came on against Valencia and was pretty effective as well. Like obviously, he said last season on loan at Mirandes. You know, I think he was mostly played as sort of like a yeah right wing back sort of slash right midfielder. And yeah, by all accounts, had a really really positive season. Um, there was talk of him potentially going out a bit. Or, be going out on loan again to a La Liga team, but he's done enough in preseason to impress Manilibar, sort of prove he's worthy of a of a of a place in the team. So it looks like at the moment he's going to be sort of like the yeah the kind of the the understudy at right back to Navas and potentially even take that spot off him ahead even ahead of Montiel, who looks like a strong chance he'll leave. Otherwise, I mean, yeah, I mentioned Manu Bueno, who came into the team a couple of times towards the end of last season. 
um, had a really positive, uh, in fact, first first game against Real Madrid. Um, I think it was in May, and again played quite. He's played quite a bit in preseason, and looks like he's going to be a member of the first team squad. So that's another another good. That's another good development. He's still only nineteen. Plays central midfield, left footed, like good tech, technically good player, good passer. He's quite tall as well, so he's still a little bit slight. But I think there's he's got quite a lot of potential to to improve physically as well. Um, so he's he's praised promising. And then yeah, Gattoni, who see came signed from San Lorenzo in the summer after signing a pre-contract agreement in January. He obviously came on against Valencia, and yeah, was yeah, yeah. It wasn't a great cameo for him. Let's just say that. I think that see, he he was essentially culpable for um, yeah, one of the goals, and I think it's going to take him a little. I think people are expecting him to take a little bit of time to kind of what well, warm to La La Liga, I suppose, but he may not get. I think it looks like he's going to have to be thrown into the deep end after after this game, given Loic Bade's red card at the weekend. But um, yeah, and then in terms of any other exciting young players, well, to be honest, I think they've just sold their most exciting young player, um, attacking midfielder called Carlos Alvarez, um, who yeah, he's quite he's quite small, but like a really really talented, technically gifted. Attacking midfielder, brilliant dribbler, uh, really clever little player, but they've just let him go for free uh, to Levante. They're, they're going to retain some sort of that forty percent, I think, of his next transfer value. But yeah, it was a bit of a shame, really, because he's 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 not really had as many opportunities as I think a lot of Sevilla fans would have liked, and so his letting him leave. Was uh, I think it's disappointed quite a few Sevilla fans. I think if you'd if you if you got gone on like the, uh, the the tweet that Sevilla announced the departure with, then looked down there, looked on through the replies, it was yeah, there's just a lot of disgrunt a lot of disgruntled replies. So yeah, other than like those two, I wouldn't say that there's gonna uh, there aren't a huge amount of there aren't that many young players in sort of the Sevilla Atletico team anyway that look like they're anywhere near ready um, to make that step up, which, yeah, is a bit dis- bit disappointing. And it's kind of a bit of an indictment, really, of how Severe have managed the development of their young players sort of over the last, yeah, 10 years or so. Um, it's they were once a bit of a breeding ground for young players, but, yeah, less less so in the last 10 years. And that's that's a bit unfortunate, to be honest. We've been very critical of Valencia's approach in the transfer market, obviously, and Peter Lim seems intent on just selling off all the, the, the best, the club's best players. But it is interesting to see what you can do with a young bunch, and Ruben Baraja seems to have gotten his young players to buy in. And it, it does probably feel a little bit more special when you win something or when you even just win games with young players coming through it, it there's a feeling of excitement around the place there's a feeling like they're homegrown talent and yeah i think sevilla could really do with some of that right now because as, as we said earlier oldest 11 in, in match day one no new players in the starting 11 to start the season kind of a feeling 
all uh, we don't we don't want to jump the gun here, but like already a feeling of apathy kind of creeping in here. Manager players not on the same page potentially, and yeah, we'll have a look. They're, they're, it's an awful pity they're not playing someone a little bit worse than Manchester City because like City are just wiping the floor with everyone that stands in their way um, recently and, and over the course of the last season. So if they're playing someone maybe slightly <laughs> at a different level, they might have a hope. But yeah, City are just phenomenal. So we're not you're not holding out much hope for them, which probably means they're going to grind out a 1-0 win in extra time. <laughs> That's how Sevilla do it in Europe. But uh, Ryan, yeah, thanks a million. So we're going to have you on during the season again um, and... To, to keep up with Sevilla, to keep up with La Liga, any 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 transfers that happen over the next couple of weeks. And yeah, thanks a million for coming on. Yeah, thank you very much uh, for having me. Yeah, it's been good. Jude Bellingham wowed the San Mames during his debut with Real Madrid as they beat Athletic Bilbao 2-0 in match day one. Eder Militao tore his ACL during the second half too as he joins Thibaut Courtois as the second Madrid player to suffer that injury in the last week. They're already playing a style that leaves them open at the back, but the injury news in the last week has you wondering just how bad it might get for them. But all told, Jamie, a pretty straightforward day at the office for them to start their league campaign. Yeah, we um we said beforehand if, if the midfield... Uh, diamond got the nod and the young midfield diamond especially then athletic we're gonna have problems really implementing that physical style which if they're going to give remedy problems at San Mamez, that's usually how it happens they they're a very downhill team very physical attacking through the wings and, and just generally being a little bit sturdy in midfield in the absence of matching their quality but yeah with this with this uh uh, quadruple of Chouameni, uh, Camavinga, Valverde, Bellingham. They they just couldn't lay a glove on them in that sense. And Valverde said it after that. Um, he name checked in particular Chouameni, Camavinga, and and Bellingham in this case, but it could have been Valverde as well. That even if they're not really pressing you, they're just so difficult to play against because they they cover ground so well in the midfield and. It was just tough for their midfielders to actually get time on the ball and, and face towards goal and, and and make a decision. So yeah, it, it was a a very active debut for that uh, midfield in in particular. And Athletic Bilbao certainly didn't help themselves with some of their miscues, both in terms of passing to each other, but just kind of lapses in concentration. Nico Williams letting the ball roll under his foot a couple of times. Inyaki Williams was just he just didn't feel like he wanted to be playing at number nine. He felt completely detached from his teammates. Just a lot of miscues out there. Now, having said that, the energy and athleticism and strength in that Real Madrid field would make anyone nervous, even the, the elite footballers. Like so, I do kind of let, let's just wait and see what Athletic Bilbao bring to the table next week and in the next couple of weeks because this Real Madrid team and the midfield in, in particular are going to make a lot of pl players and teams look and feel very very nervous this season so just in terms of Bellingham then he obviously played at the tip of that diamond uh, and the first goal Rodrigo it came from and this is something that we saw a lot in that game was Carvajal moving out to the out on the wing adding the width Valverde then just driving into the half space 
and when Rodrigo goes had moved, I, I had either dropped deep or he was himself making a kind of an angle run to make himself an option for Carvajal. And then Bellingham did the opposite of what Valverde did. So if Valverde sat and waited, it was Bellingham who went. If Valverde drove into the half space, then it was Bellingham who dropped and picked the ball up there. Just a, a, a lot of dynamic movement there and just caused all sorts of problems for Athletic Bilbao. And we spoke a lot about Vinicius and Rodrigo playing in a more central role and kind of starting their runs from there and coming outside. That was something that caused Bilbao a lot of problems. Did you? Was there anything about that, that their movement that you you picked up on as you were watching the game? Yeah, I guess the 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 area that they really have to cover with this midfield diamond is is where they get their width from. And I thought it was interesting how how high up the pitch Carvajal played. And I guess it's possible to do that, even though there are doubts about Carvajal's athleticism and ability to really be that guy who's providing that width all the time. But when you've got Valverde ahead of him, he's just such a Swiss army knife that every time uh, Carvajal wants to push on, Valverde can become a right back just momentarily. He can cover that space. And yeah, with, with Valverde backing him up, if it's Carvajal who gets ahead of him, then Real Madrid feels safe. They, they've got a, an incredible athlete. Um, backing him up in case of transitions and if they turn the ball over. And it was interesting, actually, that Rodrigo said he and Carvajal had been working on that movement that, that produced the first goal uh, in the build-up to the game. So Rodrigo is that perfect guy, really, who he's playing up front in a, in a two with Vinicius, uh, technically, or, or on paper. But he's a guy who just roams wherever he feels free and just connects play in that way. And and now they've got guys like Bellingham who were who were willing to bomb past them at, at pretty much every opportunity. So, yeah, it was it was a decent start for for Real Madrid. Um, they didn't actually create that many quality chances, but I guess that was a product of getting the two nil uh, lead fairly early on, and then they obviously Ancelotti sort of not bunkers down, but a bit more conservative, and they just closed space and tried to seize on it themselves. That that's a that's a notoriously difficult first fixture. Sam Mames Sam Mames against Athletic Bilbao, and after getting the news about Courtois, it just felt like this was going to be a kind of a, a banana skin of a game for Real Madrid. But they they got as you said that two 0 lead, and they never looked back. The and and it's funny that you said about Ernesto Valverde name checking Chomani and Camavinga, I do think that we're underappreciating, and we do, we're all probably um, guilty of this, underappreciating Fede Valverde because he's just incredible. He only costs six million compared to the other guys who are a lot more expensive. And the, the variety and the versatility that he offers covering right back for Danny Carvajal and then also driving forward and cause an athletic Bilbao then or, or whoever they're playing against to, to make decisions as to who, who am I covering here because this guy is he's like a juggernaut here coming at me and he, he was awesome again today and on the other side of that they didn't quite have the the as Ryan said earlier synergy between Fran Garcia Vinicius and Camavinga but Camavinga offers that same thing down that side of the field 
where he can step in at left back when Fran Garcia gets caught out. So it does it, it, it really does look balanced that the way that they approach the game against Bilbao. Yeah, I thought so as well. Um I guess the point would be if you were looking for an area where we can sort of ask further questions about the diamond is whether this first game at San Mamez was actually really suited them just for the dynamic nature of the match. When you go to San Mamez, it's, it's always physical. It's always high tempo. Uh, and that's the way that Athletic basically have to beat Real Madrid by, by taking them there into that type of game. But Real Madrid are just, are just so uh, well-equipped to receive that now. And yeah, the diamond, when you talk about guys like Camavinga, Bellingham, Valverde, it's, as we know with Ancelotti, it's, it's not always totally structured in possession. There's, there's lots of freedom to move. And those three in particular, playing ahead of Traumeni, are just brilliant at rotating positions. Um, yeah, and picking up on spaces just, just for the versatility. I mean, Bellingham as well as a number 10. We know why that he's been played there because Ancelotti thinks he can offer a lot in terms of off-ball running and arriving into the box, but it also feels like it's just a position where he's free to interpret the game and contribute in as many areas as possible. You know, Camavinga can't just get the ball and take off wherever he wants, but Bellingham, right at the head of the diamond, is is basically free to to contribute as he's fit to the game and, and really just tap into every possible attribute that he's got. Mm. And, I'll, and and we'll move on now to Bellingham. I mean, what can you say? Just immense. I think he was just unfazed. As I said, San Mamez is a, a really difficult stadium to go to. In his debut, there's a lot expected of him. Comes with a really high price tag, but he just looked unfazed. And he, he's a number ten on paper, but he's a multi-positional midfielder in reality. And we saw that on 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 uh, Saturday night, where he he was he was everywhere. He has, and I mean, if you were to build a midfielder in, in a modern midfielder in a lab, laboratory, it would look something like Jude Bellingham. He's got Chomeni's defensive skills he can dribble the ball and create those false transitions like Frankie de Jong and that, that powerful dribbling ability he's got Modric's decision making for a player so young he seems to always make the right decision and I just it, it's no surprise that they are building around him because he did he looked unfazed and he looked like this is where he belongs the Real Madrid jersey weighs heavily on a lot of players especially coming in with such a high price tag. But it just looked like it was a, a game of football with his mates on a Sunday morning for Bellingham, no? Yeah, I, it should be me who was, who was hyping him up, but I, I don't think I can match you there. Um, <laughs> it's uh, Yeah, it was just incredible, really. Um, you, you've just got to love a Galactico-level signing who makes sliding challenges like that, chasing back in transition. Um and I, I know we we try to look at the analytical side of football uh, uh, and combine data with watching the games, but just just speaking in terms of uh, not not emotional quality, but what he brings in terms of mentality, commitment. He's stepping into a team who are you know have scooped up many Champions Leagues, littered with the game's best players, but it still feels like even he sets the standard for. 
for what you have to do without the ball, for for the way you have to be switched on in every match. He's he looks basically immune to complacency, and every time Real Madrid don't win La Liga, unless it's Lionel Messi who has has single handedly delivered a title, I always think it's a lot to do with just general complacency and and taking their foot off the gas in 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 in, in inopportune moments. So Bellingham just ticks uh, an incredible amount of boxes for them and I guess if you if you want to look towards coming weeks and months and how he's he's going to figure over the longer term then it will be interesting to see if he's if he can be as decisive or anywhere as close as decisive in games where Real Madrid are facing defensive blocks and and having to attack in different ways because if he is then yeah you're looking at player of the season territory and my Rodrigo goal, I make a lot of predictions on this podcast, but I'm only going to mention the ones that it actually look like they might come true. So anyway, Rodrigo goes, <laughs> I said recently, Rodrigo goes in for a breakout season, like proper breakout season, 20 plus goals. He's on track for that. And he looked a lot more comfortable in that new 4-4-2 than Vinicius did. Just a few thoughts on Vinicius. He, he, he picked the ball up on the left but that's not really where he started. He would start his run from the middle. He would come outside, pick it up, and then try to get turned. Whereas typically he's a lot more comfortable way out on the on the left hand side. And just talking about Bellingham's mentality, his composure. Vinicius looked subdued, I think, and there was obviously a lot of noise around Vinicius's what what went on on the field for Vinicius. A lot of it, obviously, horrible stuff off the field from from various fan groups but he looked like a player who was just kind of playing within himself and i wonder if he does try to k- keep a lid on his his temper does that take a little bit of his essence away and wh- what did you think of his game on on, um, on saturday night yeah i think just looking at vinicius individually it must be a, a little bit hard for him to 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 be in this position of adapting to a new role and basically trying to find his feet while Bellingham has this number 10 role carved out for him and he's he's basically the star of the team. You know, he, his face is on every front page in the papers the following day. So I think there are questions about his comfortability playing inside. Ancelotti's main um, reason for it or from what he's communicated has been he wants Vinicius to play inside because he thinks he'll be closer to goal-scoring opportunities and, and more able uh, to find them on a more regular basis. But he didn't look comfortable in the match, you wouldn't say. And we we spoke about this um, a few days ago after the game as well, that it's in terms of comfortability, there, there are problems for him because when he played on the left, you know, he, more often than not, he always had that easy ball out wide because obviously teams are closing space inside. They're not going to follow him out to the wing and open up a big gap in between their fullback and centre-back. So he, he's lost that easy way of getting touches and it, it's a little bit, it takes a little bit more work for him to, to get on the ball now and, and be a little bit, a little bit more, um, a little bit smarter in terms of the pockets that he arrives in. So, yeah, wasn't a resounding start for Vinicius, but we'll uh, we, we'll hold our horses because 
you know you know he could turn up next week and score a hat trick. Absolutely, yeah, and I mean that's the quality that's in Real Madrid squad. It doesn't necessarily always have to be Bellingham, who's who's who, he's not going to be look like Zinedine Zidane every single week at his best so I'm sure they're going to need plenty of Vinicius and all the rest of them during the season so moving on finally we have two of our favorite teams to watch and two teams we are really excited about this season Imanol Alguacil's Real Sociedad welcomed Michel's Girona to the Anoeta on Saturday night and it didn't disappoint tactically We've spoken about Girona in a previous pod and pointed to the loss of Oriel Romeo as a cause for concern for them as to who was going to step into that role. It was Alex Garcia, who's, I don't know why I said Garcia there. It was Alex Garcia. <laughs> Alex Garcia started in that role against La Real and Alguacil's side really tried to disrupt their build-up. Jamie, you were very impressed with the home side's brave approach to this game. It was, it was basically man-to-man. Yeah, this was... I've not seen every single game this weekend, but I found this one the most interesting tactically from from those that I did watch. It was um, it was a really interesting clash of approaches in and out of possession. Girona's build up was basically the theme from the off, and Real Sociedad's response was to absolutely smother them. They'd Girona had obviously come out of pre season. We'd watched them quite a few times, and they looked they looked slick. They looked ready to go in terms of personnel and and the players that are going to be featured in that build-up. So, as you mentioned, Alex Garcia, um, David Lopez, Ana Martinez, Daly Blind, the new face, and Miguel Gutierrez stepping in from left-back to to play midfield. And, yeah, Real Sociedad saw their pre-season games and said, yeah, you've looked good against that opposition, but, you know, take a look at this. And they just... It was extreme man-to-man marking and basically just an attempt to completely separate Girona as a side. And if there's one criticism I had of Girona, it was that the pre- the sorry the the pressure from Real Sociedad was was so intense from the front that there were times when it was it was just too risky to to start the playoff from the back, and they didn't really have alternatives to play over the top of them. Obviously, they're missing guys like um, Riquelme this season. And there's there's still some work to do in terms of signings uh, in attack. So um, maybe a guy we'll mention shortly, uh, Artem uh, Dovbik, who, who scored for Jordan in this game. He, he could be a solution going forward. Yeah, he looked really good and we will talk about him. But just on, on Real Sociedad's press, Carlos Fernandez, who has been riddled with injuries in the last couple of seasons, but who Real Sociedad have stuck by and he looks like he's going to get a proper chance this season. He, he His out-of-possession work is was, was really good. But I wonder who actually starts the number nine for this team because this is a very specific game for Real Sociedad. Not every team is going to build up like Girona. Not every team is going to require man-to-man marking like the way that Real Sociedad did against Girona. And not, not all teams in Spain are, are as brave. Actually, most teams aren't as brave as what Michel Girona are trying to be. So they're not going to need... They're going to need a number nine who's a little bit more of a of a killer, which is obviously Umar Sadiq. He didn't start the games, come back from an ACL injury. He did come on and the crowd went wild when they did. He's like their superstar. And Andre Silva is out with a, 
with a fairly serious injury and there's no real time frame and when he's going to be back he's going to add lots of goals this season you would think who who do you think starts number nine for this team or is it going to be kind of a a, a number nine by committee I think they've all got different profiles and we have to give credit to Carlos Fernandez. It wasn't a, a glamorous shift really, but he was really very good leading the press. And I think of the three, he's probably most apt for that. But like you said, Girona is a very specific case. I think for both teams, they probably, for Girona, it was one of the hardest um, games in terms of build up for them. They'll have all season. And for, for Real Sociedad, in turn, it was one of their most difficult games for, for getting the pressure right. So, yeah, both teams really push themselves uh, to the limits within within what they do, but it, they're going to face very different challenges in coming weeks. So I think Carlos Fernandez looked, looked very good for what his role was and what he did out of possession in a game where Real Sociedad um, had to be very good and that, that pressure on the build-up had to be good to to disrupt them but Umar Sadiq is probably the guy that people want to see and and the guy who is probably the most unpredictable in a good sense as in he he can generate interesting things in in attacking areas and yeah then they've got Andre Silva to come back from injury when when he's ready so who is who is more of a a pure penalty box player or at least the most uh, killer as they say in Spain so yeah, options for, for them, which is the most important thing. And just, we'll stick with Real Sociedad here before we move on to Corona. But on the, we spoke about Oya, uh, Mikel Oyarzabal and his performances in recent months, going back to last season. Badenechea came on and played on the left in his place when Carlos Fernandez went off in the second half and Oyer Sabal went and played number nine and then he eventually was taken off. Do you think Baranechea actually, given his energy, makes a little bit more sense than Oyer Sabal if his performances don't improve? I think so, yeah. Uh, he has to be pretty close to the starting 11, I would say now. And I think the sentiment as well from, from some Real Sociedad fans was that exactly what you said they if there's no immediate upturn in Oyathabal's performances then Baronache is right there and very well could be a better option um as soon as you know from next week so yeah it's um like we said we we we're in no rush to to end Oyathabal's time in the starting 11 or, or to see the back of him because he represents a lot for them, and I thought he was pretty good out of possession still, but his his attacking game is, is not there and hasn't been for a while, and he doesn't look like he's struggling physically, so if, if that's close to being a closed book in terms of coming back from the injury, then then yeah, it's, his attacking influence has does have to pick up in, in coming weeks and months. And then Zubi Mendy was just immense in this game again, and he stayed around this summer, having been linked with a move away, and it, he, he has probably earned a move to a much bigger club in Barcelona, is who I'm talking about. Obviously, they're linked with him. He's this. He's been named as the Sergio Busquets replacement. It's almost like 
a, a foregone conclusion but he said no 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 i'm happy here and it was great to see and and but he was just immense benya torrientes started he hadn't really been seen a whole lot in the preseason. we were kind of worried as to whether or not he was going to he was going to feature but he got the start besides zubi mendy in, in the base of midfield and it, it's 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 nice for Alguacil to be able to press man on man when you've got someone like Zubi Mendy, whose defensive work, timing, reading of the game are just immense for, for being a player who's still in his early 20s. Yeah, he just looked so mature in that performance in what was a really tactically demanding game. You know, he was he was having to, to move around on the fly, pick, pick up markers drop into the back line to make a back five at times. And, and yeah, just his ability to judge where he should be and to have the physicality now to get there, get there on time as well, is uh, is just so impressive. And yeah, like you said, the fact that he basically rebuffed Barcelona, he's apparently rebuffed interest from Arsenal as well. So to have a player that good, who is still only 24 and with from what we know, no no real eyes on moving. That's a big reason why I think they'll still be the the fourth best team in, in La Liga this season. Uh and yeah. <laughs> Just speaking about the Girona equalizer in this match as well, it was it came from a pass right through the middle of Brasostad's midfield, but it was it was just really a case of you know half a meter in positioning that that allowed the pass into Pablo Torre and then the goal comes from there and the margins for for mistakes and and how little Girona needed to to actually punish them was it just made me think what what a high level game it was. That that's the truth as well because and this is probably one of the trade offs with playing such a high intensity style. Real Sociedad did get tired and you could see that there was spaces opening up. The, the the switches that Michel made just were excellent in that Pablo Torre so so we were talking about Alex Garcia earlier and he did struggle to 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 build play from from the middle given the fact that Real Sociedad's press was so intense and he he struggled to find players in the attacking central midfield area because because of Zubi Mendy's positioning and, and, and how good Real Sociedad are defensively, they got tired. Pablo Torre came in and he started popping up and Alex Garcia started to have more of an influence. And in turn, Pablo Torre started getting the ball, turning, receiving and popping, popping it out to Zygankov and players like that. Who And, and it showed Gerona's... Well, well, the fact that they were even in the game at, at 1-0 with like 70 minutes gone was shows just how good they are and how, how solid they're going to be. Then the changes came about and they were really pushing for it. And the talent that then that came off the bench, our Artem Dub Dubbik looked amazing. We 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 don't didn't really know anything about him. He's only after signing for the club a week ago. He got the goal, a really delicate finish from a Zagankov pass and a, a cross, lovely cross by him. And he's been excellent. He he's impressed us since last season, and he just seems to keep coming on again. I was just saying earlier, he reminds me of Danny Almo, and that he plays all across that line. He works really, really hard. His delivery is good. He pops up in all the right places, and I'm just really interested to see how how good he can get under Michel, and and delivering the ball into Artem Dobik because Christian Stuani, a legend for Girona, but 
like you said, he, he just and he pressed well when when asked to. But you just wonder what he has to offer then when when it comes to giving the ball over the top. But Dubbick, he was he he looks technically gifted for a big man. Some really nice footwork in the penalty area at times. As I said, delicate finish for the goal, really well taken. He's so strong and physical, works really hard off the ball. And yeah, dude, he, he just he looks like a really good signing and a starter for them. Yeah, definitely. He's pretty sure he's the club record signing. So they're obviously putting a lot into this guy. And pretty interesting as well that they've they followed up with signing another Ukrainian to, to pair with Sigankov. I don't know if that's uh, some measure of uh, having a scouting department focused on that league or whatever, but if he's anywhere close to as good as Sigankov has been and is influential, then he should be a top signing. And he came into a physical game in this one and he made it look uh, pretty light work, really. Um, he's got the frame of, of a real number nine, a real referential number nine, but there was one moment where he, he got the ball deep, sort of around the halfway line and carried it forward. And he just thought, yeah, Girona might have a, a serious player here. And then uh, obviously he gets the equaliser in what was a a really tough game for, for breaking Lariel's defence down. So, yeah, the main takeaway I had from this game coming away from it, even though Real Sociedad will be disappointed to, to drop two points, is... That I just watched two very good teams who I expect to be certainly top eight in the case of both, but for Real Sociedad, um, yeah, very much in Champions League contention again. Two teams who know what they're trying to do and who are able to carry it out, and we're really interested to see. As we said, the we focused on these three games this week because they were really interesting. Obviously, the Barcelona-Getafe game was interesting in its own right and for its own reasons, but we're not entirely sure exactly what we can tell about Barcelona from that game because it's such a unique game, one-off. We're going to probably talk about them either next week or in the coming weeks. So the, the reason we focus on Real Sociedad and Corona is because we got a really good insight into what they're trying to do and who they're trying to be, and we'll be able to tell more about them in the coming weeks. So that will do it for this week. We'll be back next Tuesday with more analysis from La Liga as we learn more about what each team this season is trying to do. As always, follow La Pausa Pod on Twitter, La Pausa underscore pod, and send us any questions or thoughts you might have. But from us here at La Pausa Pod headquarters, until next week, it's adios. <laughs>